Before we get into Exodus 29, last week as we discussed the clothing of the priests, it's important to remember what that represents and be reminded. Before we move on to 29, which is the inward, we have to focus on that outward because that's what God's given us first. Um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 64, verse 6, he describes the garments that we wear as polluted garments or defiled garments. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. And what he means by that, he's not trying to make us feel bad, except that don't, don't mistake your good deeds for selfishness' sake, that's the motive, as a righteous act before God. It's not. Um, that doesn't always stay that way. Some teach that our righteousness is as filthy rags even after we come to Christ, and that's not true. Our, our righteous acts after we come to Christ are righteous acts. They're, they're in Christ. They're done in Him and in His name and bring Him glory. But before that, we have polluted garments. We tried to attain to get to heaven based off of our good works and our good deeds, and it was selfish motivation. And the only way to take away, take away that selfish motivation is to give you what you're selfishly trying to get and then everything you do after that, well, it's not for attaining heaven. You've already got that. It's just because of heaven. It's in thanksgiving. And so instead of gaining, you, you're doing it out of thanksgiving. And so he, he starts off with that, that outward garment that we wore before Christ is as filthy rags, as righteousness. He moves on then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, to describe that unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. And that was a surprise to everybody at the Sermon on the Mount when he was teaching that. I've got to be better than the Pharisees? Well, they're the best of the best. Who can get better than that? Their robes of righteousness, which Isaiah described in 64 as filthy rags, is as, is as good as it gets. And he says, right, so you've got to do better than that. Well, that caused everybody to ask the question, well, then what? And he began to describe through the rest of that teaching on the Sermon on the Mount the inward work that God wants to do. I know it says that you're not supposed to murder, but I'm telling you if you hated You've already committed murder. So he moved from the outside to the inside. I know outwardly you can stop yourself from killing somebody, although inside your head you've been running scenarios through your mind all day long. That's the part I want to touch, Jesus says. Then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says uh, about what Christ has done for us, that God made Jesus sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God in him. And so he's making a transition now. Since your righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord, since we can't do anything about the inside of your heart, all you can do is the outside. I made my son be sin for you, that you might know the true righteousness of God. And so he's taking us step by step from, look what I've done for you. Now in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, he says, now that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you, so your righteousness, filthy rags, can't do anything about the inside, but Christ became sin for you, so now his righteousness is imputed to you. So now you've changed garments, we've changed our clothes, which is what 28 is all about. We've taken off our righteousness and we put on the righteousness of Christ, but that's not where it stops. That's where chapter 29 comes into play. Now that Aaron and the priesthood have these garments on that are white and beautiful and represent Christ, we've got to do something about Aaron, the guy wearing them, is the idea. See, it's one thing to be evangelistic. That's great. We want to be born again. There's nothing better. There's nothing more important than being born again. 
and being and, and going to be baptized and then walking in the Lord, though. That's the rest of it. Changing from the inside out. I'm glad I have the righteousness of Christ. I'm glad that's been imputed to me. But now out of thanksgiving, I want him to change the inside so that I'm not rotten on the inside and just have nice shiny garments on. I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. And so that's what this 29 is all about. In chapter 10 of Romans, verse 4, he says it's the end of the law for righteousness when you're in Christ. There's no longer an attempting to try to become righteous or get into heaven based on being obedient to the law. That's the end. That's done with with Christ. And so now taking our selfish motivations out of our good deeds because it's already been given to us, heaven, now what do we do? Now why do we do what we do? And so in Revelation 19, verse 80, describes the church that's clothed in a pure white garment. It's a beautiful thing to see. And so that's what Aaron is. He's a picture of that. He's a picture of Christ, the high priest. The other priests are pictures of us with their white garments on. And then chapter 29 now gets into what's going on the inside. Verse 1. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. Here's the sin sacrifice. I want you to bring these now. They're wearing the garments, but I want you to bring these. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. That's what that brass lavier is all about. We haven't described that very well. But in front of this tabernacle we've been going over, this portable worship center, Basically, there's this big brass bowl out front with water, and the priests would wash themselves in it. That's what he's describing. I want to meet you there. I want you to wash yourself. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Remember that said, holy to the Lord. And you shall take the anointing oil poured on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So, you're, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You're setting them apart, consecrating them. Now, this is, we're not done, but first you've got to get dressed, right? Get dressed first. Put your clothes on. Then he says this in verse 10, You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Now what's happening is here is they're bringing in the sacrifice. This animal's going to be killed. But before it's killed, they're going to lay their hands on it, and this symbolizes the transferring of the priest's sins and the sons of the priest's sins to this bull. And then the bull bearing those sins, carrying those sins, is then sacrificed on the altar. He's going to do this with the rams as well here in a, in a little bit. He says in verse 11, Then you shall kill the bull for, uh, before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. 
but the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. This bull represents Christ for us. I mean, all of it does. This whole thing is a picture of what Christ would do. Not only does he impute his righteousness to us, those are the white garments they're wearing and the ones we wear now that we're believers in Christ, but we impute our sins to him. There's a transferring there that goes on. There's a great transaction that takes place when you're born again, when you're saved, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not only is His righteousness given to you, so it's no longer your righteousness getting into heaven, but what He's done already. And I get to have that, but I get to give Him my sin. I pass that on to Him. It's impossible to take the robe of righteousness without passing on the sin as well. You have to get rid of that sin. You have to know why you're putting on the robe. I wonder how many people have put on the robe of righteousness over on top of, in addition to, their own filthy rags, thinking that that was going to work. You've got to disrobe. You've got to take that off. You have to pass your sins over and then receive that robe of righteousness. It's very important to understand why you're coming to Christ. It's because of your sin. Why aren't my deeds acceptable? Because they're selfish. And so you have to give your sin over. This transferring of the, of the sins over to the head of the bull and then killing it. There's very intimate for these guys. I would imagine day after day of doing this, and they do do this continually with the sheep anyway, twice a day, it might become a little bit rote. You get used to it. You become a little numb to it, calloused, perhaps. But the idea was supposed to be very intimate. This lively, moving animal under my hands right now, because you can feel him breathing and the heat coming off the body, is going to die because of what I've done. And there's supposed to be some sorrow there. There's supposed to be some remorse. There's supposed to be some sort of interaction taking place. And so they'd lay their hands on this, and then they would kill this beast that was carrying their sins. And then they would take the entrails and they would burn them. That's the burning away of the flesh. It gets all burnt, taken away up to the Lord. That's why it's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever smelled that before. It doesn't smell very sweet to smell a burning carcass. But to God, there's nothing more beautiful than to watch the flesh of his children burn away and the spirit be revived and people walking in the spirit. Nothing more beautiful than watch purposeful, intentional people walking in the ways of the Lord and removing the things that are not of God in their lives. That's nothing more beautiful for a parent than to watch their kids be obedient. That's a sweet-smelling aroma to any parent. Look at these kids. My goodness, this is amazing. Seth posted uh, this beautiful picture of a mansion, and, and it's supposed to get people thinking, I give you $5,000, you live in this for a year, but there's a catch, you've got to live with all your siblings. Would you do it? Seth responded, I wouldn't have it any other way. He loves his brothers and sisters. He doesn't fight with his brothers and sisters. They love each other. They miss each other. They want to be around each other as much as possible. You know, and as a parent, I'm watching that, saying, "I'm not a part of this." You know, I don't get to, I don't get to voice my opinion, but I get to watch my kids walk in obedience. From the other room, we heard Bo and Mariah starting to get into a tussle. That happens sometimes, not a tussle like physical tussle, but we can hear their voices elevating. And all of a sudden, Jenny just leans in through the door and she goes, "Guys, be kind to one another." And it stopped, and that was it. We don't have to go in there and wrangle them and wrestle them and, you know, beat them senseless or whatever so they love each other. 
That doesn't work, by the way. Not that I've tried it or anything, but... No, you just have to yell, hey, what's going on? And you got to let him think about it. And as Bo comes in, he's looking at me. What happened, buddy? She says I wasn't holding her right. I don't even know what was going on in there, you know. But he was apparently having to pick her up off the ground somehow. And she was, he wasn't doing it right. And she was getting mad because he wasn't doing it right. He goes, I'm little. I can't pick her up. I said, oh, okay, okay. Funny things like that. Just a simple word from mom from the other room saying, hey, be kind. Oh, yeah, this is supposed to, we were playing. Now we're fighting. What happened? How did this go so wrong so quickly, you know? Be kind. That's how it's supposed to be. As our father once in a while sticks his head in on my quiet time and says, would you just be kind, you know, to me? I remember that. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. I love him. It used to be fun. Sometimes I get into a tussle with my brothers and sisters in the Lord, but it used to be fun, you know? Oh, yeah, I forgot. We're supposed to have fun. Anyway, this is a sin offering, this burning away of the flesh, this obedience to God, this doing what he wants us to do. The the whole thing being burnt outside or taken care of outside of the camp, that's a picture of Christ being crucified outside the camp. It says there, it is a sin offering. This is the sin offering. So that the priests can now worship and intercede on behalf of the people. That's what they're there to do, you know. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron, his sons, shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails, its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall also take the other ram. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. They're sanctified. They're set apart. The whole right ear, be, be a listener of God. The, the right side is the strong side. You'll, you'll hear uh, Israeli songs sing that. If my, let my right hand forget what it's supposed to do if I forget Jerusalem is some of the song. And so, so it's a phrase they use over there. If I ever forget Jerusalem, let my right hand forget what it's supposed to do. Let me be useless, because it's your strong arm, basically. So the right ear, make sure you're attentive to God and listening to Him. The thumb, make sure you're a servant of the Lord, that you serve heartily for God. And remember that they're set apart for that. Your big toe, that you'd walk in the ways of the Lord. It's more than just putting on the robe of righteousness. It's more than getting baptized. It's more than having just that moment where you were born again, there's a, there's a continual thing. Am I still listening to God? Am I serving God? Am I still walking with God? You know, He's calling us to that. He's calling them to that. And as, as priests and kings in His uh, temple now, the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're called to do these things. I want them to be hallowed. And I want them to walk with me all the time. Verse 22, Also you shall take the fat of the ram, 
the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat of, on them. Uh, the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So they'd lift this stuff up and they'd wave it to God. This is all for you, you know. There's a lot of reasons we raise our hands during worship. One's Abba, Father, come pick me up. I love you kind of thing. There's also surrender. I'm surrendering unto you. But there's also this wave offering. God, all that I have is yours, you know. Those are for the swears in the front row kind of thing, you know. All that I have is yours. There's a lot of reasons to do it, and they're all good. Um, And so there's this wave offering. Now bring it back down, and then I want you to burn it. Everything's going to be consumed. It's given to God. Nobody's going to get any of it, except for this next portion, okay? Everything else up to this point has been for God. Now the rest is for them. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. It's yours. What does he mean by that? He's going to describe it. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron, and that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. The sin offering's been made. The wave offering's been given. Now we have the peace offering, which is something we get to partake in, that we get to eat, that we get to be a part of. It's not all for God. It goes both ways on this. Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. And that's what this is. We've got peace. You've got the robes I've given you. You've consecrated yourselves. We're working on uh, you know, consecrating you through the sacrifice and the transferring of your sins over to the bulls. And now we're going to eat it. Because we've got to get to the inside. We've got to start working from the inside out. I want this offering to be in you, working from the inside out. And so they're going to spend a week thinking about eating, consecrating themselves for the service that they're about to perform for the people. It's not a short thing. It's not a quick potluck dinner. Seven days of consecration, of setting yourself apart, of paying attention and thinking about it, and letting all of that food assimilate into your cells. It's a picture. It's not, nothing magical is happening here by eating this meat but it's symbolic. God wants us to be hungry for Him, hungry for God, desiring Him. That's why you know, I'm excited about the breaking chains and I want people to come, but I've been to these things when I wasn't interested. I've been to many concerts that I wasn't interested in and I sat there and I was just waiting and it was just, oh my goodness, I can't wait for this to get over. I've been to church like that, sitting there, As a kid, oh, just agonizing because I had no hunger for God. I had no desire to learn of Him. I had no desire to be changed from the inside out. I had no desire to be consecrated. I didn't even know what it was or how to spell it. I had no desire. And so they sat, and I sat dutifully, 
upright, listening, paying attention, although not getting anywhere near my brain or my heart. Just looked really good on the outside as I doodled my life away in the third row at the First Lutheran Church in Sioux City, Iowa. Agonizing. Gosh, I hope that's not like that for anybody here today. There's nothing I can do about that. It's got to be something that you want, that a person wants. I want to be consecrated. I have a hunger for God. I want to learn more of Him. I want to be different on the inside out. I want that to happen. And so that's why I ask that you pray for people to have a hunger for God, a desire for Him. They may not know His name or understand how or why or what. They just know they have to be here for that concert because they want to get closer to God. You know, God will do the rest. But that they just be led by the Holy Spirit and show up. And so, in their holy garments, it says in verse 29, the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son, that son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It is shall not be eaten because it is holy. This is just for those guys. This is just for them. God is sharing a meal with them. This whole picture, this whole idea, after these folks come out of Exodus, is so that God can get close to them. That's why we talked about that curtain, that 10-inch thick, 18-inch veil. We don't know how thick it was. That It was between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. God wanted to get as close as He possibly could to the people without burning them up because He's so holy. But He made a way. He figured it out. Okay, 18 inches of cloth apparently is enough. But I can get as close to them as possible. And the Shekinah glory would be sitting there on that mercy seat just on the other side of the curtain. And they were that close to God. They'd never been that close to God. They could never get that close to God, but he made a way for them to do that because that's his desire. He wants to be closer to us. I want to be closer to God. I mean, that's, I'm born again. I, I can't get close enough to him. I, 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 I want that. We sang songs about that. I desire that. But what blows me away is that it was his idea to be close to me. I want to be as close to you as possible, J.D. Why? Why? You have everything. You know everything. He never told me why. He just said, well, he says why. He says, because I love you. That's why. And so he has us go through this. Now I want to share a meal with you. Now that I've consecrated you, given you the robe of righteousness, now that we've burned up and sacrificed your sin, that the sacrifice has been made for you, look, now we can share a meal together because it's holy. You're holy. The clothes are holy. Everything's working like it's supposed to. Everything that separated us from God in the garden is being, being taken care of here. Never used to have to have any of this. Adam and Eve would walk in the cool of the day with the Lord daily. That's what God always wanted for us. Just walking in the woods, walking in the jungle. I don't know what the terrain was like. Imagine it was everything, you know. 
And then one day he shows up because they were sin and they were hiding from him. They had left him. They couldn't walk with him anymore. And they said, because of our nakedness, because of our shame, we can't be in your presence anymore. It was their idea to separate. And even at that time, God made a way. Those fig leaves aren't going to do it. And that's why you're still hiding with the fig leaves on. But I'll sacrifice this animal and I'll put their skins upon you. And now we can have fellowship again and talk. Not like it was but at least we're as close as we can be. God's forever trying to do that. And that is the goal. That is why Christ came. That's why we're here worshiping. So the whole world can know that God loves them and wants to be in their presence. Wants them with Him. And so He describes this in detail. And they will do this and do this and do this and do this until Christ comes. Every single day. Everything we're reading here, they do every single day. All the way until Christ came. Depending on whether they had a temple or not you know, at different times and seasons. But now the temple's gone. They can't do any of this stuff right now. The Jews are at a loss right now. They have no temple to do all this. They have to do this. This is the only way they can be close to God. And there is no temple in Jerusalem right now. And they're at a loss. They've had to change the meaning of everything because there is no place and way to do this. And they're frustrated and they just, they're guessing, they're hoping, and they've gone back to, I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. There still works. There's still a scale to them. Yom Kippur is no more, no longer, that's the, that's the Day of Atonement for the Israel. That's when the lamb was supposed to be sacrificed for the entire nation and the priest was supposed to come out and say, all clean. They can't do that anymore. There's no temple. And so now Yom Kippur is just a day of trying to really reflect on all the bad things you did and try to be better. It's, it's like a day of New Year's resolution for them. This year I'm going to do better. And try to undo all those bad things I ever did. And you can't. You can't undo crime. A criminal offense, a felony is a felony. There's no way to outdo it. You can stop committing felonies for sure, but you've got to pay for the felonies you've already committed. There's no way to outdo those or undo those. And the wages of sin is death. So he made a way. And that's this picture. My son is going to be coming. He's going to be the sacrifice. Your sins are going to be passed onto his head. He'll be sacrificed outside the camp. And then we can have peace. And then we can have a meal together. And then we can fellowship. Today we're going to have communion at the end of service. That's what this is about. We have peace with God through Jesus now. It's all been done. This is a reminder that what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross is the fulfillment of everything we're reading here. And that we have fellowship with God now because of what he did, because of his sacrifice. So, no outsider can eat it because it's holy. Verse 35, thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it to sanctify it. They have to do this over and over and over again. Because there was no way for the blood of bulls and the blood of rams to take away the sin. It could only cover it temporarily. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, said, Behold, look, everybody that's been looking at me, listening to me, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't cover up the sin of the world, but takes it away. The final sacrifice. Every sacrifice has been pointing to him. And here he is, and he's about to go to the altar and be sacrificed. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now, 
This is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. So in the morning and the evening there will be a sacrifice. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. Paul describes that in Philippians 2.17 as being poured out for the Lord. It's symbolic. I'm being poured out. I'm an empty vessel. I want to be completely used. When I show up in heaven, I don't want to be a half-full bottle. You know, Paul would pour himself out daily just in case he didn't get up from the next stoning or flogging. We want to pour ourselves out. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And you shall offer it with grain offering and a drink offering, as in the morning. For a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord that is so beautiful to God. What pleases God? How can I make God happy? How can I ever repay Him for what He's done? Pour yourself out for others. Oh, I'm so depressed. I can't even get out of bed in the morning. Go serve somebody else. Go take care of somebody else. Don't worry about yourself. Go minister to somebody. Go find someone in need and take care of them. That's a sweet aroma to the Lord. We're meant to serve. We're meant to take care of each other not ourselves. We're meant to be taken care of by others. And when we're not doing that and we're taking care of ourselves and they're taking care of themselves and we're not blending, we're not mixing, we're not looking out for one another, we're not doing what we're made to do. It doesn't work. We're meant to serve each other. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. He's just itching for this to take place, because then I'm going to meet you there. I can't meet you till this is done. I can't meet you, you know. Ask any woman that's been pregnant eight and a half months. Besides the pain and the suffering and, and all that that they're going through, and the husband trying to empathize and doing his best, All they want to do is meet this baby. I just want to meet this baby. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait to meet him if you find out ahead of time. You know, I can't wait to meet him. That's our Father's heart towards us. I want to meet with you. I want to speak with you. I don't want there to be an understanding between us. I don't want there to be a a contractual agreement between us. I want to meet with you. This is all for a reason. I want to spend time with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to have meals with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. Is God's heart. So I'm going to meet you at the door of the tabernacle after all this. I'm going to meet you there. I tell you what, if you don't want to meet God, if a person doesn't want that, it's very hard for them to understand why sanctification and consecration needs to take place in their lives. They don't get it. Stop sinning. Why? Because uh, you're not supposed to. It doesn't work. Until they have a hunger and a desire to be in the presence of God and to be as close to Him as possible, they're never going to take the way that He's prepared for them to do that. The hunger comes first. And then when they realize they can't get close to God because of their sin, they confess their sin and they accept the way of sacrifice, the way of salvation through Jesus so that they can be close to God. 
It's very hard to start with, just knock it off. <laughs> Why? Well, because you're not supposed to do that. Well, that's what you say. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel. Not just meet them, but I'm going to live there. And will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. That's the second time he said it. He's excited about it. I can't wait to dwell among them. And then they're going to know who I am. And I'm going to dwell among them. He's happy. You never think of God that way, really. You kind of, maybe you do. He's happy. He's excited for this moment. I am the Lord their God. I'm going to dwell among them. Hebrews 10 is all about that. Well, we're not going to get into it today, but Hebrews 10, remember that. Read Hebrews 10. It describes how Christ has fulfilled all that and why none of this matters anymore because of what Christ's done. If you want to understand what Christ has done, fine. Read what we've read so far up to Exodus 29. But understand this. It's no longer needed. It's no longer necessary. It no longer works. We don't get to build an altar and say, yeah, I don't want Christ, but I do want this. So I'm going to build the church number two out there and we're going to have sacrifices and do it this way. That doesn't even, he doesn't even pay attention to that anymore. None of this matters. This was all pointing to him. Him has happened. And now it's him. It's Jesus only. He's the only way of salvation. He's the only way to be atoned. He's the only way to be consecrated. He's the only way to draw close to God. He's the only way of salvation from our sins. He's the only way that God can dwell with us. There's no other way. Be careful as this world tries to teach otherwise. And even Christians get on board with this whole, well, they just don't understand completely. You know, when they get to heaven, they will. God held everybody in this Old Testament accountable for knowing how, for knowing what he was doing, to understand what he was saying. And those that didn't do what he asked them to do were held accountable for that. The world will be held accountable for it. Our job is to preach Christ and him crucified so that God could be near them. They need to understand that, you know. We can't separate, for it, separate that message from Christianity. That's it. That is the message of Christianity. So we're going to have communion now. We're going to have a little piece of bread and a little glass of juice where Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he broke that bread. While the Passover lamb was sitting there in front of them, he broke that bread and said, as often as you eat this bread, as long as you're having this meal, do this in remembrance of me, of what he was going to do the next day. This bread is my broken body given for you. It represents my broken body. Now the cup that you're about to drink is the cup of the new covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant is what we're reading this morning, but the new covenant, whole different deal. I'm the fulfillment of that new covenant. Thank you, David. And as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. My blood shed for you. Not the lamb's sacrificial blood, not even the bull's sacrificed blood. My blood's going to be shed for you. My body's going to be broken for you. It's going to be taken outside the camp and burned, crucified, so that we can meet God at the door of the tabernacle, so that we can have God dwell among us so that we can have Christ in us. That's what this represents. And by eating and drinking this, you recognize that and receive it. 
I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that his blood was shed for me. And I'm doing this in remembrance of what he's done. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says in verse 12, specifically, he died once for all. This is not a reenactment of the crucifixion of Christ, nor should it be or can it be. Christ died once. He doesn't need to be sacrificed over and over and over again. It's once for all. This is now a memorial to what he's done. We remember. When we eat and drink, we remind ourselves that I'm okay with God because of what Christ has done. I have his righteousness. He's cleansing me from the inside out. I eat his word daily so that my flesh is purified from the inside out, that I no longer even have the hateful thoughts and desires in my head. He's changing me. He's changing me. And that's why we eat and that's why we drink. Let's take some time and pray a little bit, and then when everybody's got their stuff, we'll, we'll eat and drink together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for letting us be in prayer before we sang. Then we got to praise you and sing songs to you from our heart to yours. We pray that that was a blessing to you, God. We're so thankful for all you've done for us. Thank you for your word this morning, laying it out for us, explaining to us what it is that you've done, how you've made a way, how you've cleansed us from our sins. You've given us your righteousness and you've taken away our sin at the same time. And we want to thank you for that. Lord, we remember that we can never put our robe of righteousness on. We can never put on filthy garments on again. We can only do good deeds and works for you out of thanksgiving. It'll never help us get to heaven. And that's why we eat and drink this morning, to remind ourselves of that specifically. That's by your righteousness, it's by your sacrifice on the cross that we're able to spend forever with you. That we get to have eternal life with you. That we're born again. We thank you for that this morning. So although the accuser of the brethren has been busy this week, trying to make us feel guilty and worried and discouraged, God, we're reminded this morning that we're as saved as we've ever been. We're as saved as we're ever going to be this morning because of what you did 2,000 years ago on the cross. And we're thankful for that, God. Now, we've got opportunities this week ahead of us. So with this Thanksgiving, we ask for strength. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray we're led by your Holy Spirit. We pray that we're consecrated, that we're 
devouring your word daily, being changed from the inside out, ready for open doors for effective ministry. People that we're going to run into that don't have this hope, that don't understand this truth, that don't know the way to heaven. And that we might proclaim you on this earth as long as we're here, as long as we're breathing, that we might tell people about what you've done for them. Help us to understand it ourselves completely, fully, so that with joy we can tell people the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's eat. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this place where we get to meet. We thank you for all the servants that made this place available for us and ready for us today and uh, all their work and service, God. Thank you for their hearts. Lord, bless us as we go now. Be with us as we minister and go in your strength and in your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.